This is Structured Rambling, a podcast about ideas from literature and about literature. Episodes can focus on a single text or a theme from multiple texts. My name is Paul Sonsby. Welcome. I'm not exactly sure when this will be heard, as I often craft these well in advance, but I'm setting these words down and recording them in fits and starts after yet another mass shooting in the United States. This one racially motivated. I don't get it. I don't get hate like that. I don't get racism. But I do get division, and it's become a bit of a cliché. But it's a cliche because it's true. And that cliche is that we are divided. Terribly so. It's been bad for a few years and the pandemic and its results made it into something so much worse. It feels like all our leaders are good for these days is finding ways for us to be further from each other. In times like this, we need an Atticus. I first read Harper Lee's To Kill a Mockingbird 30 years ago and have been teaching it frequently, pretty much constantly, for my nearly two-decade teaching career. No, I'm lying to you. It's been more than two decades. I feel it's one novel every student should read, along with Night by Elie Wiesel, for different reasons. Mockingbird is a rare, completely nearly perfect book and it's most perfect because of its inclusion of Atticus Finch the father of the protagonist and narrator scout Atticus is a lawyer he's old for a father and he is the most proper and formal man in the book he was played to great acclaim by Gregory Peck in a film version and I find it noteworthy that AFI lists that, that performance as its greatest film hero of all time, ahead of the likes of Batman and Indiana Jones and Han Solo. In an action-obsessed industry, it's something to think of that a protagonist in a courtroom drama is listed as the greatest hero. But that's why we need Atticus. Harper Lee really only had one book. Oh, sure, Ghost Set of Watchmen was published posthumously, but it wasn't very good by all accounts. I haven't read it. I couldn't make myself when I heard. Other writers, many Lee's contemporaries, published more to fanfare and to fanfare many times, such as her friend Truman Capote. J.D. Salinger really only had The Catcher in the Rye, and people have spent more than half a century over why, talking about why, talking about what affected him to not write more. The answer is mostly because he was a jerk. But with Mockingbird, it's as if Lee said everything she needed to, and that was quite a lot, and most of it she said through Atticus. And all of that is still as pertinent today as it was then. If it's been years or even decades since you've read the book, or if you've committed the sin of never reading it, you may remember that it's a book about racism. 
But really, that barely scratches the surface, because it's a book in which racism is explored as part of the much broader theme of understanding people who are different than you. And that's why I think we need it right now. Why we need a man like Atticus, at least as a symbol right now. Because we are so divided, we're committing so many wrongs to each other, and he told us that we need to be together. Through his words, through his actions. Charmingly and essentially, the novel is narrated from the point of view of Jean-Louise Finch, his daughter, nicknamed Scout, looking back on her childhood years. And Lee uses the adult-looking-back-on-youth point of view very skillfully, generally using Scout's immaturity as a method of delivering the novel's lessons. A key early example involves Scout's attempt to make her teacher aware of the issue facing Walter Cunningham Jr. on his first day of school and on her first day of school. Through Scout, Lee is able to convey just how little Miss Caroline Fisher, her grade one teacher, understands Macomb County. And she's a suspicious import from Winston County in northern Alabama, a place, quote, full of liquor interests, big mules, steel companies, steel companies, Republicans, professors, and other persons of no background. At lunchtime, Miss Caroline helpfully offers Walter Cunningham Jr. a nickel to buy something to eat. He refuses, and Scout, already a bit confused by the misunderstandings of her teachers trying to explain uh, the basics of the Dewey Decimal System and simple writing, Scout explains to her that Walter means no harm. It's just that, quote, Walter's one of the Cunninghams. You'll get to know all the country folks after a while. The Cunninghams never took anything they couldn't pay back. In trying to save her peer from shame, though, Scout runs afoul of her ignorant young teacher and is again punished. Scout attacks Walter in vengeance at recess at the beginning of lunch, but when her brother Jem sees this, he stops the beating and invites Walter to their house for lunch. Scout commits yet another faux pas when she cries out when Walter pours molasses all over his food. And Scout is then berated by Calpurnia, their housekeeper, and her own mother figure. The irony of this is Scout attempts to show Miss Caroline a truth that her father reminds Scout herself after the molasses incident. That night, on the porch, Atticus says, quote, You never really understand a person until you consider things from his point of view, until you climb into his skin and walk around in it. This is the book's central theme. This is Atticus's central theme, and this is why I think we need this book and this hero right now because of the divisions that he is asking us to overcome. And it's not just the one thing. You can blame politicians like Donald Trump or Stephen Harper or Boris Johnson who have defined themselves and their supporters by defining anyone who thinks even slightly differently than them as an enemy. It's a great career move for a politician. Create enemies and no one looks at you. We can blame Facebook, we can blame Twitter for enabling angry people with like-minded anger. We can certainly blame the pandemic and how it's been handled and reacted to and dealt with. We can blame it on education, the media, the social media, 
We can blame it on the war in Ukraine. But it's not just the one thing. We've stopped listening to each other. Because we've stopped trying to see from anyone else's perspective. We've stopped walking around in anyone else's skin. Maycomb becomes divided when Atticus agrees to take a case defending a black man named Tom Robinson and against an accusation of rape leveled at him by a white woman. Jem and Scout suffer verbal abuse at school, on the street, even within their own extended family. Atticus is doing the right thing, even though he knows he can't win. His children ask him why he takes the case if he knows he can't win, and he says, quote, If I didn't, I couldn't hold my head up in this town. Here's the irony, of course, that he feels this allows him to hold his head up, but it's the reason his neighbors attack him. And yet, they want him to do what he's doing. Miss Maudie, the the fine, finest female character in the novel, although her job is simply to translate the actions of Atticus Finch to his children, puts so much of it in proper perspective after the trial ends, and of course Tom Robinson is found guilty. She says, quote, There's some men in this world who were born to do our unpleasant jobs for us. Your father's one of them. We're so rarely called on to be Christians, but when we are, we've got men like Atticus to go for us. Atticus Finch won't win. He can't win. But he's the only man in these parts who can keep a jury out so long in a case like that. And I thought to myself, well, we're making a step. It's just a step. But it's a step. Later in the same chapter, Aunt Alexandra, Atticus's traditional, conservative, and racist sister, and Atticus himself, trade definitions of human trash. Scout, who has long since made up with Walter Cunningham, is um, complaining that Anne Alexander says she shouldn't be playing with a boy like Walter, hanging out with him. And Anne Alexander says, quote, because he is trash. That's why you can't play with him. I'll not have you around him, picking up his habits and learning Lord knows what. You're not enough of a problem, or you're enough of a problem to your father as it is. Earlier in the same chapter, though, her brother, Atticus, says, quote, The one place where a man ought to get a square deal is in a courtroom, be he any color of the rainbow, but people have a way of carrying their resentments right into a jury box. As you grow older, you'll see white men cheat black men every day of your life, and let me tell you something, don't you forget it. Whenever a white man does that to a black man, no matter who he is, how rich he is, or how fine a family he comes from, that white man is trash. Trash is a definition that Anne Alexandra uses in our traditional understanding of what it means to be white trash, of course. Simple, country, uneducated, and in Aunt Alexandra's very cliched, old-fashioned view from a bad family, poor breeding. Atticus sees anyone who's in a power situation 
taking advantage of somebody who is in has less power than them as trash. And that is a much finer version from a man who levies very few insults in this. His most volatile statements are referring to the murder of a mockingbird as a sin, because all it does is sing for you to enjoy. And he calls Adolf Hitler a man, uh, a maniac. He calls Hitler a maniac, which, fair enough. Atticus is not a Jesus figure, nor, in all his wisdom, is he Aristotle. But what Atticus is, is the perfect template for who we should try to be and how we should try to treat each other. The man is not infallible. I Like I said, he's not perfect. He's darn near it, but he makes mistakes. And in this, he shows us that he's so very human. And that actually holds him up that much further because, because he's human, because he makes mistakes. He shows us that he is still just one of us. And we should aim to be like him because it's within reach. It's human. In fact, his mistakes show how human he is because they both come from his understanding and misunderstandings of others. Um, I've recorded an earlier episode looking at uh, the first of these mistakes being a moment uh, emblematic of the overall dark and light concepts of this novel. Chapter 16 is a masterwork of showing the intensity that is implicit, only barely grasped by Scout, of the differences between darkness and light. When the country folk come as a mob to the jailhouse where Tom Robinson is being held, Atticus is there to meet them. He never believes for a moment that the men before him, faceless as a collective, but his neighbors nonetheless, he never believes that they will harm him. But he's unprepared for the arrival of his children, and he's utterly surprised by their ability ability to disarm the situation. Jem ignores Atticus's command to leave and stands with his father in the light, literally and figuratively. Scout, for her part, innocently engages Mr. Cunningham, Walter's father, in conversation, making him a person, a face, rather than just a member of a mob. Remembering her father's advice, she tries to discuss financial farming matters with him, all the while unaware of the true nature of this situation. Quote, Atticus's mouth, even, was half open, an attitude he had once described as uncouth. Our eyes met, and he shut it. The danger passes without Scout truly realizing what they've done. But when they're home safe and discussing the moment, Atticus returns to what matters and says, quote, You children last night made Walter Cunningham stand in my shoes for a minute. That was enough. What follows is a tough ten chapters of Atticus doing the right thing and make home refusing to let him. Refusing to let him institute change on their racist, classist, conservative little home. His children realize new things about their friends, about their neighbors, about their family. Maycomb is more afraid of change than it is of not doing right. Dramatic trials may occur, but a black man and a poor white man who beats his daughter and simple country folks all must understand their places and go back to them. They must return to the natural expected order.
Despite all the evidence in his favor, despite his impassioned plea that the jury believe Tom Robinson, Atticus loses the trial. No Makem jury can take the word of a black man over a white woman, no matter the evidence. Atticus believes firmly that they may win the appeal in the state court, but Tom gives in to despair, attempts to escape, and is shot in the back 17 times. Maycomb sees order restored, but for one man who thought his fortunes had changed, we see uh, the seed of Atticus's second mistake. When Bob Ewell takes the stand and lies about Tom Robinson, he thinks he will win the case no matter how well his story is disproven by Atticus. And he's right. But he also thinks his moment of celebrity, his jokes on the stand, will lead to a change in his social standing in Maycomb, a greater acceptance by his peers. On this, he's wrong. After the trial, everything is expected to return to normal, and Bob Ewell is is expected to return to his place next to the garbage dump, where trash belongs. He resents this, and he blames Atticus, because, as Atticus tells Jem later, quote, I destroyed his last shred of credibility at that trial, if he had any to begin with. This second mistake happens because, despite his attempt to get in Bob Ewell's skin and walk around for a bit, Atticus's greatest attribute is also, in this one case, his greatest failing. He thinks the best of everyone. It's outside of his ability to imagine a person who would harm a man through his children that a man would try to even kill children. In the oh-so-perfect climax of this novel, Bob attacks Jem and Scout in the dark, breaks Jem's arm, and is stopped and stabbed to death by Boo Radley. Ironies and coincidences abound, and a mockingbird puts itself at risk. In the shakedown afterward, Atticus attempts to frame it that Jem killed Bob in self-defense in order to keep the reclusive Boo out of the public's uh, scrutiny, be it good or bad. But Sheriff Heck Tate, sadly, more capable of seeing the potential bad in people than Atticus has power, does something about it. Quote, There's a black boy dead for no reason, and the man responsible for it's dead. Let the dead bury the dead this time, Mr. Finch. Let the dead bury the dead. Atticus represents the law, and more powerfully, pure goodness. He is the end of law, though. He works in the courts. Sheriff Sheriff Heck Tate is the front line of the law. He's in the trenches. But this time, he is able to do something. The courts of Maycomb can't do it, so he does. He sees actual justice done. And unlike pure and good Atticus, he can see how two wrongs can finally make a right. The world needs Atticus. I'm not just saying that because he's an admirable literary figure. I'm saying that because we're split. And Atticus stands for unity. Atticus and his brother Jack are men meant for bigger and better things. And yet Jack goes to be a doctor in the city. Atticus stays to law and father in a place he is overqualified to serve. He's choosing to make things better from the inside. He's trying to enact a change, or at least make the first small step towards change. He knows his community. 
He knows its strengths and weaknesses, but he will continue to do right in order that Maycomb may eventually shake off its traditional prejudices for a treatment of greater equality. He hopes to be the change he wants to see in the world, to predict Mahatma Gandhi's words. We need an Atticus right now. It's not just the one thing. Ignorance and misinformation and racism, the cancer that is social media, the binary thinking that your political affiliations define you as a person, and anyone not like you as your enemy, all have divided us. I started the script and the recording of this podcast after the shock of an American mass shooting in Buffalo. Before I'd finished, there'd been another. This one at an elementary school in Texas. And this past weekend, the NRA had its national convention with protesters across the street. It's not just the one thing. We've stopped trying to see others' perspectives. We only see those against us and those with us. When what we really need to see is attic us. I want to thank you for listening today, and if you enjoyed my podcast, please feel free to give me a rating and review. Episodes come out at the beginning and middle of pretty much every month. Have a great day.